From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is World Stage, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, I want to talk a little bit about a recent post at trendsinthenews.substack, which is the Substack supplement of trendsjournal.com, December 1st. Genocide Joe gives Israel license to kill Palestinians. No conditions on weapons of death. Report, Israel has been bombing Gaza at a pace not seen in global conflicts or wars since World War II or Vietnam. Despite pressure from some within his own party, President Joe Biden has refused to put any conditions on the weapons the U.S. will provide to Israel, thus giving Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his extremist Knesset a license to kill Palestinians in Gaza and provide them the weapons to commit the murders, according to a report. Again, that's trendsinthenews.com, excuse me, trendsinthenews.substack.com, the supplement of trendsjournal.com December 1st check out that um, amazing uh, resource Gerald Salente is the the uh, the guts and the you know the instigator behind uh, trends journal I'm gonna read a little bit more from this substack of his the Associated Press reported that the White House, quote, signaled an openness, end quote, to putting conditions on weapon shipments due to the political backlash from the death toll in Gaza, which has reached 15,000 as of Friday. And this is dated December 1st. So, But National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan made clear that he told lawmakers this week that the White House is not seeking to place conditions on U.S. military assistance to Israel. Senator Chris Van Hollen told the AP that Sullivan made it clear that the White House is not asking for any conditionality in aid. So I want to leave that very clear. This is from, again, the trendsinthenews.substack.com, December 1st. Gaza said Sunday that the Israeli military dropped 40,000 tons of explosives on the Gaza Strip since Hamas's Hamas's, uh, 7 October attack. Anadolo Anjanzi said Israel's apparent goal is to render the enclave uninhabitable. Quote, the bombs recently used by the occupation forces have never been used before, and hundreds of martyrs are buried in the places where they died. The devastation by the occupation forces reflects its intent to make Gaza uninhabitable. Quotes, quotes, uh, Salama Marouf, the head of Gaza's media office, said on Telegram. I'm reading from a post at trendsinthenews.substack where I want everyone to go and tap into great, great reporting by the trendsjournal.com. With me this hour, 
is Alana Hartsock, educator, activist, and lecturer in the areas of economic justice, land rights, and commons rent public finance. Per the work of 19th century American economist Henry George, Alana is a United Nations NGO representative for the International Union for Land Value Taxation. And they can be found at theiu.org. Alan is also the author of The Earth Belongs to Everyone and her recent Earth Rights Manifesto, which can be found at valediction.net slash world hyphen peace. Again, valediction.net slash world hyphen peace for her Earth Rights Manifesto. And Alana is a proponent of the UN's Equinox Earth Day, the annual event honoring the original vision of John McConnell, the founder and creator of Earth Day. And we're going to talk about many things, current events included. Thank you very much for joining me again today. Alana, how are you? Bruce, thank you so much for that great introduction. I really appreciate it and your program. Well, thank you for your great heart and love of humanity and the great amount of work you've done through the years to make life worth living and our future brighter than it would be without you, my dear. That is for sure. Oh, my. You as well. Yeah. Thank you. We have a nice menu of things to talk about. You and I have been working together at Shrine Day's uh, monthly roundtables, discussing proposals right. for world peace, discussing uh, what was a revelation to me and others on the roundtable the concept of uh, earth rights, the earth belongs to everyone, the perennial wisdom of uh, mm -hmm. of the race, really, going back millennia, and then specifically mm -hmm. the very, very powerful and empowering economics of the American Henry George from the 19th century. And you sent me a note about some things you wanted to talk about, the Equinox Earth Day coming up in March, and also the Israeli-Palestinian uh, yeah. war and uh, going on right there so as your your host i make i welcome you to make yourself at home and tell me which what would you like to discuss first yeah, yeah i i i mentioned in an email to you that mm -hmm. i've been looking at the palestine israel conflict most of my life Ever since I was in, in an Arab-Israeli debate my sophomore year of high school, 1964, through my, my time teaching at a Palestinian refugee camp in Beirut, Lebanon, in 1969, through my uh, rather spontaneous presentation at my college senior year Arab-Israeli debate where after, uh, and these debates are always set up, unfortunately, on who's winning and who's losing the debate, rather than how is it a discussion to solve a very deep, painful human conflict. So the one in college, that debate, I went to the podium and I read letters that young Palestinians had sent to me after I returned to the United States, pleading with me to help them find a way out of the situation and to the United States. Now, I was there when Al-Fatah was uh, encouraging and working with these young people to fight to get to return to their land of milk and honey. 
Uh, and I had, if we would have had video, I would show you some stamps that I had from Alpha at that time, saying things like Shalom and Napalm. And uh, remember a time when Palestine was on the map. So, Bruce, for us to talk about solutions, and I did, on my substack, there's an article called Palestine-Israel, Cutting the Gordian Knot an earth rights policy perspective that I would like to share a little later. But I had an awakening during my year abroad in Vienna when when several of us went into Prague, Czechoslovakia, uh, five weeks after the uh, Soviet soldiers had invaded because Czechoslovakia under Dubček was trying to get some independence and sovereignty and instead uh, Soviet troops rolled in and uh, burned the areas and just uh, blasted the center of the city. Well, we being the young uh, 18, 19-year-olds that we were then, we thought it would be good to go out to the barracks and meet these Soviet enemies. So we had a translator, we had a van, and we went out to the barracks. And 10 Soviet enemy soldiers came to meet 10 Americans. And this was, of course, the Cold War. This was not the Cold War. This was, this was the Iron Curtain period, the big enemy, the communists. And we took, like, a look at each other, and we thought, oh, my gosh, they don't look like enemies at all. They're long, young people just like we are. And I think we were jolted, and within five minutes, we were taking Polaroid pictures of each other, trading that trading various things that we had, of course, cigarettes, trading cigarettes some people smoked, trading the little Lenin pins that the, the Russian Soviet people had. And we ended up taking pictures of ourselves with our arms around each other. We, we, we heard that they were lonely to go back to their girlfriends in Moscow and Leningrad. And suddenly there was no more enemy, Bruce. There was no more. They were just human beings. And so I spent quite a lot of my life there after trying to understand, uh, going on a vision quest to understand what caused this problem of there being an other, an enemy who was bad, who was evil that we had to kill. So I see this sad pattern in Palestine, Israel, and we see the horrible things the leaders are saying, uh, calling the Palestinians human animals. And so many are now, as you just were reading and covering the deep history of the Arab-Israeli-Palestinian dispute. But I want to humanize that very much. I know we're all witnessing this. We're all feeling great pain and sorrow that this is happening in our world. It's important that we feel pain and sorrow for the victims and the victimizers and realize we just need to move beyond this and embrace the one humanity. So from that place, which I am inspired by, by, by a couple of groups I've come across in the past few months. One is the Combatants for Peace, Bruce. Have you heard of them? These are no. former Israeli and Palestine soldiers who have come together and had this healing, we are all humans experience, and now are working for peace. Uh, the other, another group is the Abrahamic Reunion. And uh, these are Jewish, Christian, and Muslim leaders, people of faith from several countries, who have come together to embrace each other and affirm the deep values of all three Abrahamic 
faith. So this one is called Abrahamic Reunion, and they are meditating and praying for peace in this terrible conflict daily, as are so many. Alana, I wonder if you wouldn't mind describing that, I think you said vision quest that you went on. Yes where you explored what yeah. was the what was the mission and the purpose and what was the what were the major yes. experiences you had please and what were yes. the major yes. lessons right the vision quest was an an intention to to answer big questions that i had uh questions about our psychology what is emotional healing what is necessary to heal our hearts from anger, pain, and trauma? And then what is the connection between our, our individual self and spiritual awareness? What is the nature of the spiritual experience of unity consciousness? Uh, what is the nature of that pointing to another level of consciousness that we can see uh, the masters, Buddha, Yeshua, Jesus, the spiritual masters are functioning at a unity level that's as different from the ordinary human as the ordinary human is from animal consciousness. Now, the ordinary human is self-reflective. We get into existential anxiety. We ask, who am I? What am I doing here? What's it all about? And moving into then finding spiritual ways we come to see that we are part of the whole. We are part of the universe. I'm reading Brian Swim's beautiful universe story and this other one, the universe is a green dragon. And uh, it is true that we are not only walking, talking bits of Mother Earth, we're like flowers and plants that sprung out of the Earth. All our bodies contain all of the elements of the Earth. But in that the Earth is a universe story, a cosmic story. We are also that cosmic energy, that cosmic story. And we are here to reflect back our awareness to that creative force. We're like the awakening of the creator, full awakening through the human. So I, I came to understand the spiritual process, Bruce, but I also wanted to understand um, the causes of poverty and war and wealth inequality. My, my quest for the spiritual and emotional healing led me to psychosynthesis training for several years in Montreal, Canada at an institute there. But then I left there and I moved to California and I was still questing to understand the wealth inequality, poverty and war questions. Now at this time I'm about 26 years old, San Francisco. And I found a little uh, notice on a telephone pole about a, a class, a free class, uh, that would uh, have answers to the questions I was asking. Poverty, war, causes, wealth inequality. And I took that little five-week course at the Henry George School of Social Science. And I had what I call my economic enlightenment, as many of us do who stumble across this approach and understanding of genuine economics of the, the authentic golden path of perennial wisdom teachings of economics. So I actually Alana, Alana, allow me, yes. 
Alana, let me reintroduce you. With me is Alana Hartsock, educator, activist, and lecturer in the areas of economic justice, land rights, and common commons rent public finance. And now here is important information from TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, if I, I can say you know you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food there's nothing to eat in there i very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places and if you go into the supermarket there's only the first two aisles that have got real food the rest it's not food and i see what people buy i've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys not them don't get all excited but i have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenage Ages brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. Chief Division Council and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And this is World Stage with Bruce DeTorris. And with me is Alana Hartsock. And Alana, I will let you finish your train of thought, or you could indulge me to flesh (laughs) out more from the Substack you posted, I don't want you to read it, but I want you to to to, to mm-hmm. flesh out for me. Yeah, because it's called okay. Palestine slash Israel cutting the Gordian knot, and let let uh, I'm I'm really ready to to hear and discuss uh, all you have to say about that, please. Thank you, thank you, Bruce. I, I will quickly finish w- where I was going before the break. 
just to say that when I took the class at the Henry George School of Social Science, I mentioned I had this economic enlightenment that answered so many questions about root causes of poverty and war and wealth inequality. And it's really had this economic enlightenment that answered so many questions about root causes of poverty and war and wealth inequality. And it's really a mind shift when you see that our relationship, our human relationship to the earth itself is not really set up on the correct foundation to have a world of peace and justice for all. And once you see that buying and selling the earth is not uh, a proper way to claim the earth, nor are other approaches like whoever got there first or uh, the right of the firstborn son has the right to the land. I mean, the entire you know, Bible can be read from this uh, history of how should the land be held. And it really contains the answers, the Abrahamic faith, and even back to the Vedic, the Eastern spirituality, contains the understanding that the earth should be held as a gift of the creator, as not made by humans, which of course we know, but as honored, the creative forces of the universe, the creator. So when you see that, you start seeing that sharing the earth is the way to solve the wealth inequality, poverty, and war problem. And so, yes, I want to go into the solutions that that I see would really work for Palestine-Israel if we can get to the point where we recognize we're all human beings. But that this solution, Palestine-Israel, is essentially the same approach as the solution to to wars throughout the world as the solutions to uh, homelessness in this country of the United States. The solution well, Alana, now I, now, I want to add, now I want to ask you to, I think I want to ask you to continue along the lines you just opened up. How should we regard the earth? How does that, how is that tangibly possible in, you know, in modern times right now, given all the challenges of division and, uh, you know, hatred and and war, or if you want to talk to and out of a focus on Israel Palestine. But I think I'm very intrigued by the the big teaching, and maybe it's one and the same. So I am again all ears. Yes, very. Thank you. So the principle is that we are all human beings, and we need to fairly share our Mother Earth, fairly share our the Earth as the birthright of each and every one of us, what the Maori uh, people call the Tarangawewe, where everybody has a place to stand as a right on this planet. So the Palestine-Israel cutting the Gordian knot, it's uh, on my substack, and uh, there's also many articles in my Earth Belongs to Everyone book along these lines. So share the water. How do we share the water? The, the River Jordan, which is transboundary, and for that, we have models of like the Delaware River Basin in the United States. It's, it's simply having a water authority that uh, monitors and manages a water system in such a way on a no-profit, no-loss basis that there is fair access for the water resources that we all need so that there's equal access to the water so that we have the the river basin watershed authorities uh, to guide us there for the Jordan River. And then we have this battles over the sacred sites, the Temple Mount, 
the Al-Aqsa, Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Temple Mound area and so on. So there's Christian sacred sites. All the Abrahamic religions, of course, are sacred sites right there in Jerusalem or on the Temple Mount or nearby. So this seems like a simple solution. Don't fight over these things. Have a share time basis. Certain days, or certain hours of the day or days of the week where the, where the Christians have access and then the Jewish people have access and then the Muslim people have access. Just put it on a calendar. Figure out when each of the three religions have their access for their religious ceremonies and prayers. But I would think also there would be times when the three could celebrate all together and we could sing the prayers and the chants of the, all three Abrahamic faiths and in those sacred sites in, in, in Palestine, Israel. And then this very, what looks to be the whole tricky core of the Palestine-Israel conflict is how do we share that land? The, 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 when, the, when the Zionists came into Palestine, much of the land was purchased from shrewd Arabs who claimed that they had, who showed fake paper titles. And so the Zionists could say, look, we bought this land. Now it's ours. Here's our title. And go to the Bedouins, the Palestinian people who did not have, they were like Native Americans. They didn't have the Western land title system. But they could then say, the Zionists could say, listen, it's ours now. We bought it. We're going to, you have to leave. You have to leave. Hence the Palestinian refugee crisis there in a nutshell. Not really any different than what happens to indigenous and native people and happened to the European conquest of the native people of the Americas. So there again, it's how do we share this land? It's a newcomer and people who've been there for a while. We have to look at what Thomas Paine said. Now, Thomas Paine was before Henry George. And he understood the beginning of the modern economics, classical economics, the physiocrats in, 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 in France. Alana, Alana, yeah. before before we continue with Thomas Paine and, and go where that takes us, I just want to talk a little bit about what you just described, which is the reality of the founding of Israel in May 1948, I believe. And yes. the challenge is to even say what you just said and have it received by large amounts of mainstream Americans, they'd shout they would shout you down as an anti Semite just for saying what you said. Yet it's it's documentable. I refer people to the writings of Jeremy Hammond. I think his site is JeremyRHammond.com. Um. So would you, would you say would that. you mm-hmm. yeah would you say more about that um, if you can just so folks there, you know start to wrap their to head be, around it that they not only do we yeah. need to know more accurately what happened we have to practice and attempt every day to have civil conversations about this so please tell me what you can about that. Because the um, original natural law teachings, the spiritual teachings that we're all one as human beings and we must share the earth, uh, became lost, were lost, and the people divided, otherized. 
So uh, the split mm. within Christianity where they lost his thread was under the Roman Empire. And then the persecution of peoples who are other than you, who are heretics. And then the Jewish people uh, being accused after that Roman imperialism distorted Christianity. They, they work on divide and conquer. So now you, you spread the, the, the fallacy that the Jewish people killed Christ. What a horrible thing. And so somebody's martyred by another person. But we know that just as the early Christians had to go into a diaspora after the crucifixion, when the Romans came down in that area of the Middle East, so did the Jews have to go into the diaspora for 2,000 years. And in that diaspora where they were thrown out of their original land, they were confronted as minority peoples with times when they were not allowed to own land. They were not even allowed to trade in goods like cotton, which was a luxury good uh, in Europe in the, the Middle Ages and so on. So it's a very deep history of human beings hurting and harming and killing and torturing each other. So when we understand that's the shared history, it's not about anti-Semite or anti-this. It is about pro-human beings. And it's about recognizing that when we all are cut, we bleed, we grieve, we're happy, we're sad. We have all the human feelings. Hmm. So we are about affirming, first and foremost, the humanity of all the people that are now suffering in this situation, of all those who have been through the eons of time, victims and victimizers. May there be no more victims and no more victimizers. May there be one human family and understands our role in this amazing story of creation. So all you can say in addressing those kind of occupations may be perhaps to ask the person accusing you of being anti-Semite of how they're feeling and enable and allow and permit and listen to their own suffering and pain of their own people. What a horrible thing, the Holocaust. Horrible. Hitler. How could the Christian churches on the whole permit such a thing to happen? Again, the distortion of Christianity. Again, the importance of getting to the original truth of the Abrahamic faith, Judeo-Christian and Islam. Peace. Peace and peace and justice is what it's all about. That's how I would Rather respond, than, Bruce. Thank you very much for that. And I could, I could say a lot about how um, anointed you sound to me, consecrated you sound to me, Alana. So there. And for the, just the sake of the history and the narrative, rather than pick up with Thomas Paine, I think right now would be a great place for you to, to talk about what is that perennial wisdom understanding about how to regard the earth and how to regard each other's claims to the earth or right to the earth? Well, the, 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 the right is based on our birthright, our incarnations in time and space onto this amazing planet earth. It's truly and how was that? And how and how was that? Mother? Yeah, and how was that understood and lived throughout human history? Well, some 
some uh, indigenous people, uh, they would allocate uh, land for families or even individuals if they were agricultural people. So they would allocate land, or, or African, you see this throughout Africa, indigenous, you would allocate land plots so that people could have their own individual gardens and their own individual places to live, their own individual houses. And then when they were no longer being used, uh, they would revert back to then a reallocation back to other families, other peoples, to use certain areas of land. You would never claim an area of land perennially. And you would not allow others to go landless and then take more land than you need. I mean, we've come to a point where, where Bill Gates could, through money, buy up more agricultural land than anybody else in the United States now. That's the absurdity of this buying and selling Mother Earth rather than fair allocations. Now, originally, in the Leviticus Ju Jubilee Justice tradition, when uh, the promised land was to be settled, the rabbis very carefully considered land of different qualities of soil. And certain tribes were to be given less land if it was more productive, richer soil. And the land that did not have so rich soil, those tribes were given a larger amount of land. And that's how you compensate uh, allocation of land based on different soil quality for agriculture. But now this is, is not in, in our Leviticus. This is in the Torah. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible for the Jewish people. This is in the Talmudic writings. And this was a conversation with the rabbis, again, about how do you fairly allocate land, which is your question, I believe. And they said, well, some people will be closer to the market, which was Jerusalem, even back in ancient times, and some will be further away. The ones further away from the market, they will have to work longer and harder and travel further just to deliver their goods to the marketplace so how do we make that fair and they actually said well those closer to the market have a land advantage and they shall make a cash payment to those further away from the market and that will equalize labor human labor on land of different locational values and and this is also what goes back to the vedic indus river valley and they were surprised to discover that what we today call land value taxation or commons rent public finance same thing different words goes back thousands of years was rediscovered by henry george in his quest to understand gross wealth inequality and some of these big social problems that he was seeing uh in philadelphia in early san francisco and in india and other places and he came to have his insights he simply rediscovered these teachings that if we're to live in peace and justice, we must fairly share the land. And so, thank you, Alana. Uh, and now, any now any place shows now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So continue in any way, shape, or form as far as applying it to uh, America, Israel, and, and what's going on. Thank you. That was you know a nice uh, titillating explanation of the of the history of it, so that people will. Write down how to follow you and dig into uh, okay. the the concept because it's nothing less than uh, revolutionary because it's also natural and it's based on what occurred to humanity when we were all more equal when we were all more at the tribal level and we were all you know at that 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 foundational formation of 
whatever civilization is before right. bullies could accrue the ability to just take right. what they wanted. Let me reintroduce right. you. Alana Hartsock is with me, activist, educator, and expert on economic justice and land rights and commons around public finance. And now here is important information from TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Uh-oh. Someone on the staff of Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas screwed up big time. She's running for mayor of Houston. And, well, before we get to the details, here's how she treats her staff or has treated them in the past when they screw up. I need to uh, ensure my um, schedule and, uh, you know, if they boo-boo did it, shit-ass did it, fuck-face did it, then nobody knows a goddamn thing in my office. Okay, now watch this. Houston, I've spent my entire career fighting for you. From fighting to keep our kids safe from guns when I was on city council, to my days in Congress fighting to protect women's reproductive freedom and for funding for our police, schools, and small businesses. Now I'm running to be your mayor because if we're going to bring down crime, fix our streets, and bring good paying jobs here, then Houston needs a champion who's ready to fight for what's right. And I am. Did you see that at the end? It said, vote on December 7th. Let's put that up. Vote on December 7th. Problem is, the vote is on December 9th. Let me say it again. Uh-oh. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is World Stage and with me is Alana Hartsock. And Alana, I want to I want to just briefly hear, at the risk of interrupting your train of thought, ask you to describe where people can follow you, because you are a door into a number of huge topics that are opportunities to transform and improve life on Earth. Nothing short of that. Number one being, I think, for me. The, the Earth Rights uh, understanding, and you've got the Earth Rights Manifesto at valediction.net slash world hyphen peace. But talk to me, please, briefly or at length, where people should follow you and what they can find by following you and where they can follow you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, so my book is available as a, well, you can, can buy it, but you can get the free PDF at uh, 
V-I-U, T-H-E-I-U dot org in the resources mm-hmm. section. The earth you belongs to everyone. To, yeah, thank you. You can get That's to my Substack, just Atlanta mm-hmm. Hartsock at Substack. It, I call it Aradhana Airwaves. And um, let me spell I really your name. I want to encourage people. A- I want to spell your name for your. Sorry, yes. A L A double N A. Yeah. Let me do it. Let me do it. Heartsock is H A R T Z O K dot Substack. Alana Heartsock dot Substack. Continue, my dear. And hey, I'm going to leave my phone number. <laughs> okay. You know, it's up to you. I, I have a little bit of time to talk to people. If they really, really want to talk about this, I'm happy to. And then I can tell them other ways to connect with us at 717 357. 7617. We're trying to build Thank a movement you, here. I want to be accessible. And our Equinox Earth Day is a way to really start tuning in and working for this movement for the Earth Rights Policies. It's going to be events in New York and around the world on March either 19th or the 20th. Uh, and it's bringing forth the Earth Rights Policies. It'll be education, activism, celebration leading to worldwide implementation, joyous claim the earth, public finance reform policy that you can do right where you live. We'll connect you with the people working for this around where you live. We wanna build a lot of movements worldwide. So that's what we're doing for the Equinox Earth Day. Um, I think I think it'd be great yeah, right now. You connect with me and I'll connect, with, I'll connect you with the Equinox Earth Day work. Right. And folks will, I believe, understand what's the big deal about that. If we spend a few minutes right now, if you would indulge me in a nice teaching, beginning, middle and end of how do the uh, land, how does the land value taxation change, let's say in America, let's use America as the example. How is land tax now? How does it lead to the inequality that we have right now and the horrible problems of economic insecurity and homelessness versus how does the the Georgist, Henry Georgist uh, land value taxation work and what does it cause? Well, think about it, about the land and housing costs. Now, there is an economic law called the law of rent. And the law of rent clearly shows, and this goes back to the physiocrats before Henry George, Henry George rediscovered the law of rent, that as, as land is settled, as communities grow and develop, the land price, the land value rises faster than the return to labor, faster than wages. And so more and more the land is commodified. The only way you can get access is to buy it. If you're being taxed on your labor and production, you have less purchasing capacity to buy that which you have to have, which is shelter. And when we treat land as a market commodity for sale, for speculation, for hoarding, that drives up land prices even more. So the market cannot work. It cannot be a fair market system when you commodify the land and resource base. So some who are working now can't even afford a place to live. People don't realize that many homeless get up and get out of their tents and go to work every day. These high price cost of housing areas, 
people cannot even afford rent. So they're living, they're homeless, but they're working. That's called the working poor, by the way. So this is a land problem that's driving the homelessness and the gross wealth inequality because then a few come to own most of the land and most of the valuable land sites. And they are now living off of unearned income. They didn't work for it. They were in the privileged position to claim high-priced sites or a lot of land and natural resources. If people who are ordinary working people can't afford to buy a place to live easily, they have to have a mortgage. They have to. We just think of that mortgage, which means dead hand. One of your hands is actually working for the banks to pay the debt, mortgages. And the mortgage payments go up higher and higher as the land prices and housing prices go up higher and higher. And pretty soon we're in wage slavery, which is where most of the people are now in the United right, States and for decades, worldwide. And for, and for decades, right, at the, and for decades now, we've seen enormous uh, transfer of wealth and wealth creation by a smaller and smaller and smaller percentage of the population, mm-hmm. you know, 0.1%. Yeah. Yeah. owns you know the top 90 percent of wealth in america that might be an exaggeration but i doubt it now alternatively how do the economics of henry george work and what do they create first of all we recognize that what you work for and you produce is yours don't tax it that taxation on production and income is a form of theft legalized theft by government if i um grow food in my garden should the government come along and take a, a big percentage of it? Uh, no, we would say no. What you work for is yours. Or if your family or a group of people come together and form a cooperative, what they produce is those don't tax what we want, which is the return to labor of the fair worth of what labor produces. So take off the income taxes. Take off the sales taxes. That's earned income. Do not tax earned income. but the value occurring to land and resources is created by us all. First, it's a nature create, uh, created value because it's creation itself. <laughs> and then as, as people use different areas of land and resources, it does increase in value. But as they provide improvements, say a community now has um, roads, uh, it now has infrastructure of various sorts. It has libraries. It has schools. All of that increases land value. That's a community effort. No one person is creating the land value. So it's a commons. The increase in land and resource value is created by the community. So that and then the owner, the, the, the landowner, then pays into the communal pu- pu- uh, pipe pipe. Uh, Pool. The pop, pool, exactly. So it's it's a circular type of public finance where the commons, the rent of the commons, the value of the commons, that rent is collected back for the, the value of everybody, for the community and human services that we need as a community. So that, mm-hmm. that is a proper source. The unearned income is actually community created, and that's the proper source then to pay for public goods. And that's public goods in your local community, in your region, and, and even on up to a global level, because certainly the, the, the oceans and the resources and the oceans and the fish in the ocean are commons. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we would have even a minimum kind of governance, a resource agency to collect from the transnational commons. But in the local area, Bruce, it's so elegantly simple yet powerful to shift if in the property tax, which is already established everywhere. It's an upside down property tax. It's a good and a bad tax. We want to turn it the right side up. We want to, within the property tax, take that tax off of people's houses and off of the increased production on their land. And instead, we want to shift that property tax to the land site, the land value, the value created by the community. And the vast majority of homeowners now, the way it's calculated, the way we implement it, would pay less. And at the same time, those who are land hoarders and speculators uh, absentee owners and so on who are collecting this under an income and private pocketing it, they would be the pay mores. Those with boarded up buildings are going to pay more under this. And it's not just theoretical, Bruce. The city of Harrisburg was the second most distressed city in, in the United States in the late 70s. They started shifting their property tax in the correct direction. And this the city started wonderful local-based economic activity that saw thousands of boarded-up buildings become renovated. The housing stock became renovated and more and more affordable housing. Harrisburg was winning, began to win many awards after they implemented this tax approach. And just this year, Harrisburg was voted, it's hard to believe even for me now, uh, as the number one place to retire. The number one top city to retire the average housing cost is $100,000 less than in other cities, and there's a lot of amenities in the city of Harrisburg. Also Harrisburg, on Pennsylvania. Also the best places to retire in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, was our city of Allentown, which is the third largest city in Pennsylvania. Those citizens were, were, were educated door by door about how this policy works. And they voted wanna, to freeze all of I, the taxes and only have a land value tax. So it's working. I could go on with many, many different examples. No, it's how as well you should. But I just want to I just want to take a minute to say that Henry George codified the logic behind this in the late 1800s. He became, uh, his book became a bestseller. He became a very popular public speaker. And since the late 1800s, here and there in America, and I believe in other parts of the world, towns have implemented to some or all, you know, to big degrees what you've been describing. And every time they do, they experience this prosperity. And to the to the extent that there are in there is an existence in America, the Henry George School, I believe, of social sciences, there are people who are dedicated to keeping the flame alive, keeping this knowledge out there, and trying to teach more and more people about this. This has been eradicated from mainstream uh, textbooks yeah. in history. It's not taught in colleges and universities. The entire, I believe, neoliberal economic schools of the late 1800s, early 1900s came up came up to bombard us and overwhelm us with what's called, you know, free trade and, and laissez-faire capitalism to brainwash and hypnotize Americans into thinking that the way that it's set up right now is the only way it could possibly be. And anything that sounds like what Alan has been talking about is communism and therefore it's of the devil it's of ignorant non-christian you know horribly stupid backward people and 
It reminds me of that great quote by President Harry Truman, the only thing new in the world is the history that you don't know. And the Henry George economics is probably the uh, prime example of that. What do you make of all that, Alana? Yes, yes. I, I call what happened the intellectual crime of the last century. It was a thorough obfuscation and corruption of economics. It was intentional. The original economics before classical economics is three factors, land, labor, and capital. Land is the earth, labor and capital, label, people working capital tools. And to corrupt the economics that was coming forth, that was going to be a powerful solution to wealth inequality. They simply made the term land, the earth itself, a subset of capital. So neoliberal economics works with two factors labor and capital forever in conflict because of the wealth inequality, labor not being able to get ahead, and the so-called capital lumped in with the money system and the debt system, concentrating the wealth into the hands of a few. So neoliberal economics was set up to do exactly what it's doing, putting the few against the many, and in and, and, and the long term, which is where we are now, it is thoroughly yep. corrupted and damaged yeah. our political democracy. I see this, so this I see this kind of hand of in hand with I'm sorry, what? We're talking about a new form of democracy. I call it earth rights democracy. We never yes. had uh, any sort of economic or land rights built into the political democracy. At the founding, there was already the crack in the Liberty Bell that set us up for where we're at now endless wars, homelessness, and all the suffering, needless suffering because of an incorrect economic governance. So we really need to have a new form, which I call Earthrise Democracy. I talked about this years ago in my E.F. Mm -hmm. Schumacher lecture back in 2001. That's the first uh, article in my book now. So it's that big of a, but it's it's deep. It's a deep shift, a deep change, but it's totally set up to be non-violent, yeah. non-violent. We have, we have a couple of minutes left. Take, take a nice minute, Alon, if you would, to maybe teach from scratch. What is the Equinox Earth Day coming up in March? And what, what ah. are you, how do you want to leverage it in 60 seconds? Oh, okay. <laughs> the original Earth Day was John McConnell's founding, proclaimed in San Francisco and at the United Nations on the equinox it had deeply entwined and embedded the earth rights policies the henry george economics the economics of peace people who were creating a teach-in an environmental teach-in on april 22nd ripped off the name they thought it sounded great and that became earth day april 22nd but we're really bringing forward now the earth rights economics of the original equinox earth day we're doing this Alana, by encouraging yep. people to have events and to start working for the policy. Find and follow Alana I- Hartsock at her Substack, A L A N A H A R T Z O K, and also at viu.org. Find her book, the free PDF. The Earth belongs to everyone. Alana, thank you, my friend, for joining me today. I wish you a great rest of your Saturday and your great weekend. And I know we'll be talking soon. This is the incredible TNT Radio.